Welcome to What I Meant to Say, where we discuss parenting, relationships, and wisdom that can be passed down through generations. All right, I'm so excited today to have Jake Saul on What I Meant to Say. He is a fractional chief learning officer and sales coach with an amazing life story of just how to overcome struggles and really turn them into something that um, can help not just you be a more loving person, but bring that love into the world. So thank you so much for joining me today, Jake. I'm so happy to have met you. Thank you. Me too, Wendy. Back at you. Yeah. So I'm going to flip this interview a little bit for people who have um, listened to more of my podcasts that um, I always ask people, what is a piece of advice you would give to your younger self? And I usually do that towards the end of the show. But I thought knowing a little bit of your story that that might be a great place to start um, as far as, you know, generational healing and the things that we learn by going through difficult things. So can we start there? And can you tell my uh, listeners what's a, a piece of advice you would give to your younger self? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Uh, it's funny because through the things I've gone through, I actually went to a therapist for a while to kind of just reconcile a lot of things in my head. And one of the best pieces of advice she ever gave to me was to go back in your mind and talk to your younger self. So in other words, if I had a reaction to something, I'm starting to ask myself, how old are you during this reaction? What age of you am I listening to right now? And then go talk to that person. So a great example is um, I, I had a situation not long ago where I kind of made a snap decision. And afterwards I said, how old were you there? And it took me back to when I was probably seven. And I remember the exact spot. And so I was guided to talk as an adult to younger self and just tell them it, it's going to be okay. You grow up fine. Sorry, I get emotional. So it's uh, it, it was probably one of the single best pieces of advice I've gotten. Wow, that is profound, and I can see it in in the way I understand the the getting emotional because until you've really done that inner child work and connected with that inner child it's hard for people to understand how profound and impactful it is, but also how difficult it is. Um, it is difficult. Yeah. So what, what prompted you um, to learn about inner child work and, and how to, how to get started on that? Uh, there were issues you go through in childhood and I'm not the type that looks in and blames my parents. Uh, there were just situations that mold you and condition you to become what you become today. And so there were several things I've gone through in life that I look back and I think, what led me to that spot? And it pained me because I didn't know. And it, it was scarring and emotionally trying. And so I went to a therapist to help me kind of sort it out and guide me. And I will say that the self-talk is huge. Uh, replacing should with could is huge. So what should I have done versus what could I have done? And the, the talking to my child, it, it sounded almost outrageous to me at first. And when I tried it the first time, I, I cried. It was unbelievably emotional. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I find myself identifying with that because I, I know when I came through my divorce, that was really what prompted me to start asking those questions because I didn't understand how I ended up where I ended yeah. up. And I'm feeling bad for myself, feeling bad for my kids. And you really do hit that spot where you're like, something's got to give, I've got to figure this out. 
Yeah. And I think it's one of the most important questions anybody can ever ask. And also one of the scariest because it really does turn away from blaming anybody else and figuring out, you know, what were those patterns that got you to a place and, and then where do you go from there? Right. I mean, and, there, and your life is such a beautiful um, example of, of, of where this work can go. Cause you and I've been talking sales and things of, of like, you know, bringing things to the world that can really help people. And um, so a little bit about, you know, I want to get back to your story, but I, I'd oh. love to hear, you know, what you're doing today to bring out into the world, these things that you learn and how they, how that happens through the corporate world. Well, I think part of it is just understanding conditioning. You know, if you look back to previous psychologists, there was a psychologist called B.F. Skinner and, and his theory was really free, free will is an illusion. We're all conditioned to make decisions now based on what worked out for us in the past. And I got fascinated by this because when people say, how are you to each other? Very few people mean it. And kind of at a young age, I, I thought, so how can we break that? What can we say differently? So I got fascinated with conditioning. So when I went through the events, which I'm sure we're going to cover, when I went through the events in my life, um, I realized how conditioned I was. And I think my life changed when I stopped asking, why is this happening to me? And I started saying to myself, how can I break that conditioned response? And I don't want to give the illusion that that's easy. It, it's been horrifyingly hard. But um, it's funny because people say self-talk like you're going to be okay. And you look in the mirror and say, you're awesome. And my self-talk is, how old are you right now? How old yeah. are you making this decision in your adult life? And uh, yeah, it's it, it's eye-opening. Really yeah. eye-opening. That's really speaking to some of the energy work that I've done. And there really are so many various times in your life and 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 versions of yourself that need healing yeah like <clears throat> and it's all the things that we go through and like you say in in this generational healing work i feel like the statement that i use the most often is everybody's doing the best they can with what they have right exactly right yep and then the the, the addition that i've put on that since starting all of this is and then it's our obligation and our responsibility to learn more Agreed. Because as we learn more, we can understand it and, you know, decondition and unlearn so many of those responses that we learned growing up. Yeah. And that's not a place of blame. That's just a, a, a yes, we can be better at how we do our days now. So, yeah. And the question you almost ask yourself after you do any type of action like that, where you place blame or you feel guilt, you have to almost go back and say, so how did that help me? Did that placing blame help me at all? Because it doesn't feel like it helped. As a matter of fact, yeah. it, it made me feel pretty lousy. And I used to blame my parents a lot. That So I'm not going to say this. I've always been the enlightened one, but... Uh, I never felt comfortable with it because I always thought, you know, they had their own stigmas and stuff that they grew up with. So they weren't able to break their conditioning. So I think there comes a time where you just have to say enough's enough. I've got to yeah. work on my life. I've got to stop blaming things that happen to me and learn from them. And one thing I tell my clients all the time that I work with one-on-one -on -one is it's not near as important to say you're invulnerable and perfect as it is to say, I made a boatload of mistakes 
and this is what I'm learning from them. So it's kind of a dichotomy. Yeah. And it's super, it's super impactful. And, you know, I think there's so many things that we all, it, it, it can bring us all down when we see somebody that can lead by example that way, because we're all human. We've all oh. done it. We've all made a boatload of mistakes, but it's coming to terms and making peace with those that really brings the healing, not just to yourself, but to everybody around you. And yep. that's, it's so profound and amazing to me. It's my favorite thing in life. And if I can help people learn things younger than I learned them, that's the thing that kind of gets me up in the morning and have loves to have conversations like this. Uh, so, I agree. <clears throat> so take me back to, you know, the root of, of if you could pick a spot where all of this started, this, this um, transformational journey that you've been on. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about, you know, where you've come from and the things that you've struggled with um, to where you are today? Sure. Uh, I was fortunate. Uh, I had a dad who worked extremely hard and his definition of luck was where preparation meets opportunity. So where that happens, I've considered myself very lucky through life. And for many years, I was on a speaking circuit. I was quoted in publications. I have seven patents. I had everything. And there was a point where everything wasn't enough. It uh, just wasn't, I guess, what I felt it should be. I had a marriage that wasn't that great. Uh, I felt as though I wasn't making enough money or getting what I deserved. And you never really realize how far things go downhill until you're at the bottom of the hill. So I taught the martial arts for 20 years. And after doing that, your knees take a pretty good beating. So I wound up having several knee surgeries. And on the last one, I was introduced to strong painkillers. And I was in a a leg cast for six weeks uh, because it was a complete ACL replacement. And so I went on painkillers. And what you notice is that the stuff that bothered you before doesn't bother you as much now. And if you took a little bit more, you've actually felt pretty good about the stuff that was happening. So I think, I don't know, when I describe it to people, I say this was a dichotomy. Part of me wasn't conscious I was heading down this addiction path. And the other other part of me knew it and just felt as though I could control it. So I started on the pain medications and, and I took plenty. And it was about two and a half years of just being caught in this opioid haze. And I want to stop here and just say for a second, I get tired of shows that blame the opioid companies for this and say, it's your fault that I got addicted or my kid got addicted. It's not. It's my fault I got addicted. I took the pain medication. I kept taking it. I saw the downward spiral. I kept taking it. That's on me. Nobody forced me to put a pill in my mouth. So I'm not criticizing those people. That's just not who I am. So uh, it was getting difficult. And I knew it was way out of hand. Uh, There's stories I could tell that are just disgraceful. I never forged a script or stole anything, but I manipulated enough people in the ways to make it happen. Uh, So one day... I decided enough was enough, and I just stopped taking them, which any doctor will tell you is just dumb. <laughs> so really? Okay. Yeah, go ahead. And 
as you're as you're going i mean two and a half years to be taking those out of a surgery because I, I i've had some pretty big surgeries before and you know that 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 time that's just post but you have to keep taking more and more of the of the medication to have that same effect is that correct yeah it it um it gets to the point where you want to take enough just to feel normal so you take enough to feel normal pain wise but then after a while you take enough just to feel decent and that does get to be an escalating dose at least it was for me i don't want to speak for other people for me it was yeah and you're really you're just you're you're losing yourself i mean oh 100 percent. yeah you look in the mirror and you, you're just not sure how you even got there and, and then you have the choice do i go through the pain of stopping or do I just continue? And that shouldn't even be a discussion, but it it is. <laughs> well, your brain, you're, you're, yeah. I mean, your, your your mind is altered, and and yeah. you don't. I mean, you have to be missing so much clarity, and that that loss of self is. It sounds so scary to me. Can you just? Did you feel? Did you feel scared in the midst oh. of? Yeah, absolutely. And there are days you feel like you're never going to get out of it. And you feel that you might as well just reconcile it because you've made this bed and you might as well just sleep in it. And the hardest part, Wendy, is the self-blame that starts to happen. You're a bad person. You're a dirty person. You didn't deserve all the success you had. You threw it all away. And uh, I equate it to if a basement had a basement, that's where I was. You just, you're in the dark and nothing looks light, nothing at all. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so scary to me and yet also speaks so much to the human condition because it's not like you just started taking the pills because, you know, that right. seemed like a good idea. Exactly. If there's a root there, you were, you just hadn't gotten back to that root cause right. of why that, that emptiness was there in the first place. Exactly right. hundred percent. Right. Yep. And man, there are just, there's so many substances. There's so many things that that's what addiction is. It's that lack of connection with ourselves, right? And we, whether that's, you know, prescribed drugs, alcohol, sex, gambling, shopping. I mean, there's any number of, of ways that we get as humans try to numb that connection. And because right. looking at ourselves is just, is so scary. And what um in that moment though when you decided to just go off of them which you said is not a good idea <laughs> no it's not can you can you explain um what what got you to that moment or what was that moment and then and then why why you shouldn't just go cold turkey uh well you know it's funny i've thought about that moment a thousand times since then and you don't know if it's because you just give up and you think you know what whatever happens to me i deserve it deserves to happen or did you just say listen i'm gonna take all the pain in one fell swoop and just get it over with i'd love to tell you i know which one it was but i think it might have been a mix between the two um the other part was it, it was getting harder to justify the increases in doses with clinicians you know you just mm -hmm. you realize you're fighting that uphill battle and you also know you're just being dishonest and part of that creeps into you as well and when that becomes part of your personality it's just it's bad you've you've hit bottom and and that's it um it so, just sounds like so much to keep up with 
It, it sounds exhausting. It is. And so, you know, the relief to that exhaustion is in the bottle. And you know that that bottle's getting harder to get and it's taking more and more. And that just gets super difficult. So whatever the reason was that I did it, uh, I left an unfilled script on my dresser and I went with my family to a fair in town. We could walk from our house. And I knew something was gonna hit. It was just a matter of time. So about halfway through that day, I said, I'm, you guys just stay. I'm going to walk home not feeling too great. And uh, next thing I knew, I woke up in the hospital. Don't even remember the whole walk home. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was that led to a couple of rough weeks. <laughs> how, long, how long were you in the hospital? Uh, I was in for five days. And that led to then being introduced to NA. And, you know, mm -hmm. in NA, you, you're told to do 90 meetings in 90 days. So I did that. Uh, but yeah, then it's, it's revealing yourself to people. You know, it's telling your friends you went there and it's, it's telling family members. And, you know, the conversation with my parents was, <laughs> that was rough. So you go yeah. through a comeuppance after that. You take responsibility for your actions. And uh, I can tell why people don't, because it, it's the hardest thing you'll ever do. Yeah. <clears throat> My hat is off to you. I cannot. Yeah. That, that <laughs> reckoning, that, it, it's, it's, it sounds like the scariest thing, because you're still alive. You're still here. And that's the, the amazing thing. We lose so many people to addiction, and it breaks yeah. you know, so many hearts. But to have a story, but that that moment where you actually have to be yourself and look at yourself in the mirror and talk to all the people you love. How old were your kids when you were going through this? Uh, I think my son was three, which would have made my daughter probably seven. Either that or he was four and she was eight. It was it was somewhere mm -hmm. out there. So my daughter does remember it, but my son doesn't remember anything. Yeah. And was your wife at the time aware of what was going on before? Well, if if you're really good at it, and and when I mean good, I mean pathetic. When you're good at it, nobody knows you're you're addicted. You hide it well. You know how to skirt around things. You know when to show your face and when not to. When to say you have a cold and when to say you don't. So you get really good at it. So it was a surprise to everybody uh, when wow. I went through that. Yeah. And, you know, that's when you give the big reveal, like, ta-da, you know, here I am. This is who I've been. But, uh, you know, it, it led to a lot of things in my life. It, it, it led to uh, divorce. It led to, you know, life savings going away. It, it led to a lot of rough things. The thing I wow. will say, Wendy, is we can look back at it and say, wow, and you went through a tough time. But the moments of clarity that happen, if you're aware of them, mm -hmm. are Staggering. Wow. Like, can you re can you remember? I mean, can you remember some of those like at, at certain points through the process? Yeah, I well, <laughs> there was one where I was talking to somebody and I was trying to feel them out to to make me feel better. And uh I remember saying to him, So if you're dependent versus addicted, that's okay, right? And you go through these processes where you're like, you try to rationalize it as best you can. 
And, you know, I think we all go through each day with a couple of juicy rationalizations, but these are just illogical. And looking back on them, you see that now, but at the time it's like, hey, I could justify this. Yeah. Yeah. And you would come through such a successful life. I mean, you were talking, yeah. I mean, being on stages and, and, and the things yeah. that everybody attributes to look at that guy, he's doing this and that's something to be celebrated. And yeah, accomplishment is great, yeah. but when it's lacking that, you know, when you start to feel that separation from self and that lack of, you know, real authenticity in your day, that'll eat away at the most quote unquote successful person. Yeah. Right. So what was that? I mean, that loss of identity had to just be huge. I mean, did, how did you grapple with that? Well, you start to get the, uh, what do they call it? Imposter syndrome. So you get mm -hmm. to, to the point where you're like, maybe I wasn't that good anyway, and maybe this didn't really happen. And it definitely shouldn't have happened because look at the type of person you are. Mm -hmm. So you get that. And I didn't have a great support structure. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you get a lot of, you should have known better than that. And, you know, wow, I, I, I thought anybody but you. And it's like, they may have been well-intentioned, but boy, that just, that makes you feel. Oh, just yeah, the shame, the shame, the shame-based. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that is, yeah. that, that's, that, that just anything that vibrates at that level will just, it, it, it kills the human spirit, you know, yep. and it, it. Oh yeah, and my it's, goodness. it's not a great help in, in recovery. Yeah. However, I will say one thing that was kind of one of those moments of clarity that we were just talking about was my first NA meeting. Mm. You know, I always, I always had it in my head, you know, I'm not really an addict. I'm on these illegally. I'm taking prescriptions for it. But, but you are. I mean, let's call a spade a yeah. spade. And I remember going to my first NA meeting and I was struck at the honesty of the group. If you've ever walked into a room of people that none of them had a single thing to hide and they talked about it, it it's remarkable. Yep. It is absolutely incredible. I remember going home thinking, I'm looking forward to the next meeting. I can tell these people anything. And you can. I would say the NA meetings were filled with probably the most honest people I have ever met. When it comes to their feelings, what they do outside yeah. of feelings, I don't know. But I met right. some brilliant, brilliant people through the process. Well, and that acceptance that comes when you're yeah. in a group like that. Yeah. Most people have never felt that level of acceptance for who they are. <laughs> no question. Absolutely. And if you, if you have, it's a gift. Yeah. It's an absolute gift because it's a game changer for any human, I am convinced. Yeah. And... I always think like if more people could feel that total acceptance of who they are right now, the world would completely change because we're all walking around hiding certain things that we all have. Like everybody has something, everybody yeah. has something that they're going through. Everybody that has something that, you know, they're not proud of or that's the wrong, they made the wrong decision. We're human, right. but we all go around acting like we got it all figured out. And we Very don't. True. No, we don't. <laughs> we don't. Yeah. I don't care how old you are. Yeah. You know, and yeah. being not afraid to ask those questions or admit what you don't know or say, this happened to me. The more I do that, and I've noticed this since my divorce, because that was one of my biggest things I was so ashamed of. Yeah. People just come along and go, yeah, me too. 
it's not how could you and i'm right. sorry that you had some of that you know the shame based that's okay but you know that takes me back to the question of if someone is in that position how can you how can you be of better support to someone who is admitting an an addiction or is in a, in a really tough spot like you were in i would say first of all definitely find a meeting somewhere find an na meeting because you won't find a more accepted group uh i had a daughter who went through a bout of alcoholism and i attended her first aa meeting with her and she was very scared just like i was to attend the first meeting because you think you're going to be judged and you don't want to be part of that group but when you get in you're like wow this is unbelievable so I would say, first of all, definitely go to a meeting because you're going to find like-minded people who'll give you their phone number and talk to you any time of the day or night, which I can promise you most of the people you call friends right now won't. Right. And the second thing I would encourage is surround yourself with the right people. You know, one of the mistakes I made was, was going to people I thought would be helpful versus people I, I knew would be helpful. And that was a mistake looking back on it because there were certain people that I think definitely prolonged out my ability to feel okay about myself. You know, mm. this was 10 years ago. I'm 10 years clean and I haven't looked back and it's been a wonderful life and things have came around, come around really good. But at the time this happened, you didn't reveal yourself as an addict because there were people who wouldn't accept you. They thought you were crash. And Sure, there's a subpopulation of those people today, but it's much more acceptable to come out today than it was 10 years ago. Yeah, that's a, and that's a testament to the world that we're living in now. I do believe, you know, for all of the difficulties we have with, you know, social media and comparison and stuff, I do believe that the world does seem much more open to healing, in yeah. my opinion, than it, than it has um, we were so good generations past at sweeping things under the rug and keeping a stiff upper lip. And, you know, that was, that was the way back of then, course. you know, coming through yep. World War II. And when you start to study these generational healing trends, it's every generation kind of has their coping mechanisms. Yeah. And it does seem to me like as they've caught up, as humans do, you know, we, we I do believe we want to, at our, at our core, we want to be better at, at how we do our lives. We just get caught up. In certain things we're human we make mistakes but i do think that we're coming we're making a more collective choice towards healing and i you know i applaud people like you telling your stories because i think it makes it so much easier for everyone who's coming through their own story to know that we're all in it together i'll tell you when i was going through this i read a lot of books uh about people who were addicts and i was amazed to find out some of the people that were you know i read books about stars and one of the stars i was reading about he's like i accepted an academy award i don't remember the night don't remember anything about it and they talk about what they did before and after and you start to look at yourself and go maybe i'm not the exception after all maybe I have the same problem as somebody else or just a variant, you know, maybe somebody's hooked on alcohol or weed and they can't get off. And, and I'm going to be the last to be critical of anybody hooked on anything because I get it. Been there, got the t-shirt, I'm back again. So it changes yeah. the perspective. Well, and there's no scientific 
knowledge to this. This is just an intuition I've had in observing people, which is one of my favorite things to do out of love. But I just love observing people. And I've noticed that it's honestly some of the most brilliant minds. I feel like this is what you're speaking to. Sometimes our minds need calming. And if we don't know the physiological ways to calm our minds, we'll go find something that will help us do that. Yeah. And I don't think, you know, that the education hasn't always been out there of how to bring ourselves down and really balance our nervous systems and look at how, you know, why we are the way we are. And brilliant minds are always working and we can really work ourselves up into a state. Oh, yeah. You know, and it, it you know, there's that's one of the things I've noticed with just, you know, so much addiction out there is like, what are the more holistic ways that we can learn to calm ourselves and really connect instead of disconnect because we're so uncomfortable. Right. Right. Yeah. So, um, do you have any of those? Do you, do you, um, meditate or have any of those calming, um, practices now today, or how do you, how do you maintain your sobriety? I still do the things that the therapists say, you know, if I'm in a state, it's like, how old are you right now? Let's go back and take a look. Uh, I don't know if I have any other calming other than being in an amazing relationship. I've remarried and that is, it, it's been a life changer for me. Um, I always say she not only, she talks to my angels, but she calms my demons. And uh, I will say that was a tough conversation though. Cause when we first started dating, I had to tell her, I had to say, this is part of my past. And I wasn't sure if that would be a deal breaker or not. And God love her, it wasn't. You know, she's like, that's part of your past. It's part of your past. And she trusted me to keep it that way. And, and I don't want to pose any illusions. I, I still have the demons that crop up, but they're they're easier to talk to now. And, and we have, you know, coffee table conversations versus I'm going to dominate you. And, and that's the case. Wow. And I think that's, that's such a tribute to what I've learned really works in, in, in truly or healthy human relationships, right? We are, yeah. we heal in relationship and you often, you hear so many things about like, you really have to get yourself all figured out before you can get into a relationship. And I'm more, more and more realize like we never really have ourselves all figured out and people <laughs> are meant to be together and we are not meant to do this whole thing on our own. Yeah, And so when you find, I, I see so many of the conversations that come through the podcast, which has been one of my favorite observations is to see people that truly have grounded success, like sustainable, joyful lives have relationships that really matter to them that have these conversations that are equal, that where the energy exchange is equal and no one's taking everyone's, you know, in it for each other and it really it's a game changer and people don't realize that if you don't have it how hard it is to get through life it's and very it true. Can, yeah it can be a romantic relationship or just a core of people that really truly understand you and you know everyone gets gets something from it because yeah. this the loneliness out there is it's tragic it is and I will say that one thing I've discovered, Wendy, and to speak about the divorce thing, mm -hmm. um, I've discovered that there's a lot of people in marriages that are lonely. 
and they're afraid to step away from it because it's like, I'm going to lose half my income or, you know, I'm never going to find anybody else. I just want to tell you, it, it, it's all a crock. You're going to be fine. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I would argue you're probably going to be better. It, it's just that pain point somewhere on the other side of pain is the rest of your life. And if we can just get through whatever that pain is, it's almost like an acute pain versus a chronic. You're going to go through a lot of acute pain, not promising you how long it's going to last, but I promise you on the other side of it, it is pretty much pain-free and pretty exciting yeah. and fun. And uh, I'll be honest with you, I didn't realize it about my marriage either until it came to an end that that was making me miserable too. No fault against my ex-wife, not pointing fingers anywhere. I was just as much to blame. But God, having a marriage that works is unreal. It's it it's surreal. I love hearing that. And I truly believe that we, you know, we pick partners at certain points in our lives. And it a lot oftentimes at very unhealed parts of our lives. Right. And I right. always say we we attract to our level of healing. And that's a good, good quote. I like that. Isn't it? It's so fascinating when you start to look at it. And I completely agree with you. I talk to people that are unhappy in their marriages and it's it, a lot of times it's that it's, it's dealing with the demon that we know versus the one that we don't. Yeah. And you know, Hey, I know this pain. I'm just going to stay here. And you're right. Cause people, honestly, I, I, I believe the human spirit can only handle it for so long. Yeah. And even if you think you're handling it, your mind, your body will start to give out on you. And yeah. I'm a big believer it all, it's going to come out in the wash at some point. So finding that path to authenticity is hard, but it's oh so worth God. it. It's so, so worth hard. it. Yeah. yeah it, I, I liken it when people, when I talk to people about it, I liken it to when people say, oh man, this was just, this wasn't a good day to get into a car accident. Oh, so there's a good day. Yeah. So Saturday would have been fine, but just today was off for you. Yeah. You know, and, and it's the same thing with dealing with pain. No, you, you're going to put it off. I promise you. Yeah. But just do it. Somebody will yeah. help you through it. It's you are so the sum total of the five people you hang with. So when you're going through this, pick those five people carefully because they're going to take you up or they're going to bring you down or keep you right where you are. Yeah. And it's not always the person who's going to support you hook, line, and sinker and say you're doing everything right. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I would advise you get some people that tell you how it is. Yeah. And what they see in an honest way, it's coming from love, but sometimes yes. it's got to be tough love when you're coming through stuff like this. It cannot yeah. just be someone who subscribes to your plan. That is yep. not the way to go. I agree. So, I'm yeah. writing a book right now and I've had a couple of people read part of the manuscript. They're like, this is great. It's like, come on. <laughs> it can't be You're like, great. Yeah. This is the first time I'm writing one. Give me some feedback. Oh, so after that's a while exciting. versus getting away from being criticized, you almost ask for it and, and you welcome it. Yeah. Or at least well, that's and you're, you're a healed enough learned. to take it. Yeah. You're healed yeah. enough to take it. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully. So tell me a little bit about this. Tell me a little bit about this book you're writing. Sure. So over the past 10 years, there's been a lot of growth that has taken place. And a big part of it for me was becoming uh, better at communicating. 
So I started developing a couple of approaches to communicating, whether it's in business or when I'm public speaking or I'm helping a corporation or sitting with my wife on the sofa that has made me a better listener and a better communicator. And the book I'm writing is a book called The 210 Rule, which is a rule I've developed over the years, which basically says for every 10 minutes you talk or listen, you should encourage an interaction something that inquires or causes further insight into the conversation. Then after 10 minutes, you almost do a wrap up. Like, Wendy, you and I have been talking for a while just to make sure I know where we're at. Bing, bing, bing. Anything you want to add to that? And by doing this, I've helped some companies 3x their sales. I've helped customer service teams increase their stars by one half percent. But the most important thing is it's made me a better husband and father. You know, the kids come and talk to me all the time. And we have some really candid conversations. And you and I have talked about those prior to the podcast. Uh, super candid conversations. And my wife, who was also married before, she feels com comfortable coming to me with things she couldn't come to her previous husband before. But these are all things I've learned. I, I'm... You know, this took a long time to get here and uh, a lot of soul searching and a lot of admitting I'm wrong, but the place it's led to has been great. These 10 years of being clean have been just miraculous and wonderful. I mean, it's such a testament to the dark night of the soul. You know, nobody yeah. wants to go through it. Nobody would wish it on anybody that they love or even come into contact with. I, it's, you see so many painful things in the world. But the thing is, like you're saying, on the other side of that darkness, is that it's so bright. It is. And we're, I am so fascinated by what it is in, in every human being. We can be such a catalyst for our own growth and change. But what gets us stuck versus having someone else that can come through that's like that post-traumatic stress versus the post-traumatic growth you know there are just so many little nuances and in the end it's every time i run into something it, it really is don't run away just love it love it more yeah. because yeah. there's no other the shame the i should haves the all of those things where we get yeah. caught they're they're heartbreaking and they, they don't are. just change your life. They they change the lives of all the people around you. They and, do. Yeah. And be careful what you read and what resources you go to. Because I will say one of the dangers for me, Wendy, was I used to listen to motivational talks. And you would hear motivational speakers, I never have a bad day. And life is always great. And are you living your best life? I found those to be the worst people to listen to. Because no, I have no idea if I'm living my best life. I hope so. Couldn't tell you though. And I do have bad days. So for the longest time, I was like, what am I doing wrong? It, it must yeah. be me. But really what it was, was I was referring to the wrong things. I have nothing against motivational speakers. I still listen to them to this day, but I just take their advice and their pattern a little bit differently than they used to. And perhaps at least for me, more realistically than I used to. Yeah. I think that that the thing I always remember is that you know there's no there are no high highs if you didn't have the low lows. Like it's we're just true. it just isn't possible because how do you learn to appreciate it, right? Yeah. It, things matter because we know the contrast, you yes. know, in the context of why it happened. So, well, I heard you say, you know, 
just getting to where you are today and the way that you help people because mm -hmm. you've come through so much, you've learned so much. How do you work? Um, what is a fractional chief learning officer? Well, a fractional is, is a newer movement. And the fractional movement is where you actually take the spot of a C-suite executive in a company, but you only do it for a limited period of time. And I'll give you an example. As a chief learning officer, most companies will know this as a head or a VP of training and development. So my job by nature is fractional because most companies will come to me to hire me, but training is always the last to get budget and the first to get cut because it's in the debit column, right? You're not generating mm -hmm. revenue with training, or at least you don't think you are. So what I do is I go in with a company, I help them get an onboarding program going, I train their salespeople on how to communicate far better and, and earn trust right away. And uh, then I leave. So this may require me to be with you a couple of hours a week. It may require a couple of months. You may just hire me to be on retainer. So you can call me once in a while and say, Jake, I'm not sure what we're doing here, but it's just, it's not right. Uh, so you're in there for a fractional period of time. And here's the best part for companies. It's a fraction of the money. You mm -hmm. a head of training and development or a CLO, you're talking 220, 240 a year. You're going to get me for half that price. You're going to get quality just as good. And you don't have to worry about benefits, payroll, workman's comp, any of the other stuff. I've been fortunate, Wendy. I've trained in six countries, over 10,000 people. And it's all the same. Companies want to save money and help their employees get better. But most companies don't want to invest in getting them better. And like we were just talking about, you don't get better on your own. You need help, mm -hmm. whether it's other people or, or things that you go and read. That's what training does for you. It gets you better. Yeah. Do you find that most of the employees are very open to what you come in to do? Or is it is it a battle? No, it's it's usually a little bit of a battle because you'll get a lot of people that will say, you know, we're good enough or, you know, salespeople should just be salespeople. Get on the phone and just sell. And it's it's just not that easy. You don't become a CEO by just CEOing. You know, you you educate yourself and you learn more and you talk to other CEOs. And trading in sales is really no different. One of the big differences in the way I approach it though, Wendy, is I approach it from life experience, psychology, and conditioning. How were these reps conditioned to respond? How were the customers conditioned to respond to them? And through that, I can give them a better understanding of how to approach somebody else. Mm. Here's a way uh, to think about this. Sales yeah. companies say, we will close one out of every 100 people. So in order to close five people, I need 500 calls. So I'm going to employ five people to make 100 calls apiece. Wendy, we don't think of anything else in life like that. I don't think, well, in order to meet my perfect mate, I have to meet 356 people. So until I do that, I'm not going to meet them, right? No. We don't think in order for me to get this grocery, I have to go to 20 grocery stores. So sales gets this weird tinge to it. And my job is to get them by that. I love it. And I have just a little bit more of a personal glimpse into this because my my oldest daughter just graduated from college and took a sales job. Okay. And so I I truly never understood. And I and just as of the last you know few months, I have a, a better understanding of what you're saying because I've never been a salesperson. 
And, um, but I'm listening to her recount what her days are like and that, you know, they're hard and they are hard. But she's, she's loving it. And I'm wondering, you know, I've got you on here. So if you sure. could give a piece of advice to a young starting yes. out salesperson, like what, what would a few of your, your best tips be? One of them is to remember selling is a lot like dating. And what I mean by that is you want to establish trust. You want to establish a two-way communication. You want to make it mutually beneficial. But in sales, we don't approach it the way we'd approach a date. If I'm right, getting ready to go out with somebody, I want to know where they work. I'd like to know what kind of car they drive. I'd, I'd like to know what their preferences are and where they want to go to dinner. A typical salesperson doesn't care about that thing. They just pick it up. They dial the phone. Now, imagine if you're a prospect and somebody gets on with you and says, Wendy, God, I am so glad I got through to you. I was looking up stuff on your business and I'm fascinated by it. You're going to handle that much differently than Wendy. How are you? This is Jake. So one hint I'd get, give is do your research on who you're calling first. Get to know any little thing you can. So when you call them, you have a better glimpse into their life. And the second part is learn how to establish trust in the first 10 or 15 seconds. And there's some key concepts on how to do that, including how to hold yourself in a Zoom call, how to portray your picture on a Zoom picture, because there's three traits psychologists say make you trustworthy in a picture. So learn the little psychological tips that will help you get that edge, not to manipulate, but just to make you more trustworthy and uh, worthy of their of their patronage. That is so, that's so interesting because I got myself into this. I love, I listen to podcasts. I've always had a hard time being in front of the camera. This has been a massive. You're doing great. Curve. Well, thank you. <laughs> but you know, that, that concept of doing things that you're scared of and listening to some of the things that you're saying, um, as far as like how, how you portray yourself, right. Yeah. Whether it's, Sometimes it's nerves. Sometimes it's, hey, I, somebody told me to put that picture up there. But it's interesting because you will feel a sense of authenticity. Um, and that's what still needs to come through the screen now that we live in this world. Right. I much would prefer to be with somebody. Like, I'd love it if you were sitting right here, you know, and, and when yeah. you're face to face and human to human, it's different. It but is. there is something in this world now with Zoom calls and everything being virtual um, that we really do have to learn how to bridge that gap. So that's yeah. interesting to hear you say that. Yeah. And, and it's super important because when we, you and I talked, fortunately, we talked before the podcast on other calls and whatnot. But if you think about it in the terms of a sales call, if I get to know you a little bit and we talk back and forth, and then I say something off color, you can go, oh, you know what? That's just Jake. And it's okay. He's a good person. But if I pummel you with it as soon as we get on the phone, you don't have that level of communication or trust with me so far. So part of the conversation, in my opinion, even when developing a new friend, is don't talk about yourself at all for the first couple of minutes. Just focus on them. Build that relationship. Because eventually they're going to say, so what do, you, what do you got for me? Why are we talking today? And at that point, their receptivity is hundreds of times better than it was even just one minute ago. It's all about the relationship. It is so true. 
And I, you know, the world does need more active listeners and the better that we can be at doing that, like everybody, everybody wins. Everybody gets a chance to speak when, when people know how to listen. 100%. Yeah. And I just, I can't think of a, of a better place. I mean, to, to just wrap this up because there's so much in your story and the way that, you know, you, you make yourself available to people, including me, just to help with your knowledge and your wisdom. And honestly, the, the concept of giving back is, has been lost for me for a couple of years in this like entrepreneurial gig. And, you know, there's, everyone's out there trying to make a living and we all need oh, yeah. to do it. Yep. But I will say, I have to just thank you, you know, on the air for, you know, the way that you've lent your wisdom to us and so willingly. You're welcome. And I just, it's such a beautiful thing. So you're oh, a really generous you human. Thank you. And, and it's wonderful to run into. And a shout out to, um, oh gosh, to Ben Albert, who introduced us. He was another great podcast guest. Ben is such a great guy. He's like the definition of giver. He really is. Yes, yeah. he is. And he's a connector. You're a connector. I'm a connector. And we all believe in this, you know, the magic that happens when people that really want to make the world better are able to, to have that vision and connect with each other all the way across the country. You're in Connecticut. I'm in California. Yep. He's in New York. I mean, it's, it's amazing. And the thing about this journey, no matter where it goes for me is what I'm so, I'm so fascinated by how many amazing people, despite the miles between us I've connected with that are doing such incredible things that nobody, you know, everyone looks at the world and this, everything, you know, the things we see on the news and the famous and the, the football games and all this, the stuff that gets the big press. But what I'm constantly amazed by is this undercurrent of incredible people that are doing things the way you're yeah. doing them. So thank you. Well, thank you. I appreciate that very much. Yeah. Um, so where can people find you to connect um, with your wisdom before the book comes out? Keep us posted on that too. Sure. Uh, you can reach me on LinkedIn. I'm Jake Stahl on LinkedIn. And you can find me at my website, jakestahlconsulting.com. Those are the only two places I go. I'm not a big social media guy. So those are the only two spots you can find me. All right. Well, that's it's simple. And I can't say that I blame you. I love LinkedIn. And I'm glad we got to connect there. Yeah, and, me too. Um, this has been an awesome conversation that I'm sure will continue. So thank you so much for joining me today. Wendy, I can't thank you enough for having me. This has been wonderful. Thank you for joining us on what I meant to say. Another production of Inspired Edutainment brought to you by Be Better Media.